Coming up, we tell you all about Danny Polichuk's long, strange journey to the Isabel Bader Theater, and Benedict Andrews, director of Una, talks about his controversial film. In the theater, it's kind of like a verbal boxing match. Um, you're trapped in the same room as the two protagonists as they face each other off. Yeah, they, they jammed the locks of the venue. Like, they jammed, like, metal into the locks and, like, broke it off. I've never seen her be fake in, in anything. I was calling around a lot of theaters, and, like, I was not getting a lot of responses. And I'm not sure if they were, like, Googling my name. <laughs> Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krauss. I'm Richard Krauss. Come on in, shut the door, the leaves are falling, they're blowing in the foyer, we're going to have to sweep it out. That might become your job if you hang around too long, but right now, come on in, grab yourself a drink, pull up a beanbag chair, and enjoy these conversations as they fly through the air. A little bit later on, acclaimed theater director turned filmmaker Benedict Andrews stopped by to talk about his film, Una. Now, if you don't know about Una, perhaps you want to Google it before you listen to the interview. It's based on the play Blackbird by a Scottish playwright named David Harrower, and it's based on the true story of a famous pedophile. Anyway, we'll get to that in just a little while. First up, though, Danny Polichuk is a Toronto comedian who's had a long, strange journey to get to the Isabel Bader Theatre. The Free Speech come together to celebrate the things they'd rather silence us for charity benefit show happens at the Isabel Bader Theater in Toronto. It's on the U of T campus, 93 Charles Street West. If you're looking for specifics. It happens on Saturday, November 4th at 9 o'clock. And I'm going to let Danny tell the story about the first show that they tried to do, why that one got shut down, and why they're coming back and remounting. Here's Danny to talk about the free speech. This isn't the first time you've tried to mount this show. Number two. Yeah, tell me about the first time. So basically the first time was, uh, it was August, I want to say August 26th was the date. Uh, it was supposed to be at the Comedy Bar, and it was in response, you know that Professor Jordan Peterson, that yeah. guy, very controversial, so he was supposed yeah, so, to... So people that don't know about him, he is a, univer a tenured University of Toronto professor yeah. who uh, is refusing to use non-binary, gender-neutral terms to refer to his students and, and some Yeah, but his too. real concern is like he is, is that he just doesn't like, at the base of it, is that his whole thing is he just doesn't want the government to legislate mm -hmm. language. That's he's right. like, he just, like, he just doesn't want the government to be like, this is what you have to say, yeah. right? That's his real, like, crux of his argument. So, so anyways, I'm not like a crazy, like, Jordan Peterson right. nut, but so... He had this talk at Ryerson called The Stifling of Free Speech on University Campuses, which got canceled. And as a comedian, I'm like, that is hilarious, yeah. right? I'm like, I could not help but note how ironic that was, that it was like, so anyway, so the show gets canceled by all these protesters who were like, kind of like, you know, Antifa-ish type people. And it was hot off the heels of like Charlottesville. And so... I guess, you know, te tempers were high or whatever. Yeah, and I think so it was like right after it or something. It was really It was, it was like two it weeks. Was like, but it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't in court. It wasn't, no, it was, it was already planned. scheduled. Yeah, it was scheduled way in yeah. advance, right? So he has this thing. It gets canceled. And I'm just like, that's crazy. So I just thought, you know what? I'm going to put on a free speech comedy show as slightly as like an experiment. I'm like, because all comedy shows are free speech comedy shows. Right. I'm just going to like, I'm going to see what's going to happen, right? So I make this poster. And the thing is, I use the poster... I basically lifted the poster of the event 
page that got the original talk canceled. Right. I took their poster. Free, yeah, the yeah so I took their poster that they were <laughs> stifling a free speech, and then I removed the word diversity rally. Right. And then I put in comedy show. Like that log line, like yep. the don't let them silent, whatever. Yep. That's their log line from uh, their poster about stifling the free speech show originally, right? right? So, the, so then I did that, and then they found out and they broke the locks of the comedy bar. Really? Yeah, they, they jammed the locks of the venue. Like they jammed like metal into the locks and like broke it off. So I got a message from the owner of the comedy bar. Like he, so first, what happened is the morning of the show. And, and call, so, no, so you say they did this. Who did this? They're like and leftist thugs. I don't know. Okay. They're like, <laughs> and, and so and, 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 and they did that because the they thought this who, was who, like an alt right. Yes, yeah, so they're the same people who who got the original event canceled. Right. Same right. people, right? So I got a call from the owner of comedy bar. Uh, saying, <laughs> like, in the morning of being like, hey, people are calling in and saying that the producer of the show is, uh, like, associated with neo-Nazis. He's like, what's going on? Because he knows I'm Jewish, right? Yeah. So he's like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just something that kind of spun out of control? Pretty much. Yeah. It just got, and so he's like, okay, he's like, I just want to know what to tell them when I call them back, because they're leaving all these crazy messages, yeah. right? So then... He's like, okay, fine. He's like, it's not a big deal. Uh, and then, like, an hour later, he's like, someone broke the locks. He's like, we can't get into the club, which is a tactic that they use to stop, a, right. like, you know, meetings or whatever that that's, they don't want to That's have. crazy. Really proper crazy. Yeah, and so and so the show was canceled. Yeah, because at that point, they don't have security, so it's like, yeah. you know, why? what risk is yeah. worth taking? Yeah, so. yeah, and so you've decided to remount. Remount, yeah. And what's to say that this isn't going to happen again? Well, so it's at the University of Toronto. Uh, well, this... don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the locks are, are broken yeah, yeah. again today. So it's at the University of Toronto. So when I booked the show, they were like, What's the show? Because I was I was calling around a lot of theaters and like right. I was not getting a lot of responses. And I'm not sure if they were like Googling my name. So right. then U of T, they were like, what's the show? I'm like, it's a benefit for the CCLA. It's just a comedy show. And they're like, okay. So then I booked the thing. And then I got a call from them about a week later being like, hey, so we found out about <laughs> the last show. <laughs> they're the like, you didn't tell bar. us about that. I was like, you didn't ask me. So I was just like, I didn't, I didn't bring it, it up. It didn't right? come up. It yeah. never came up. <laughs> so then, uh, they're, so basically they're like, we're going to cancel the show unless you agree to get extra security. So I have like all this security for a comedy show. November 4th, come see what the hubbub is about. Come yeah, so yeah. November 4th at the <laughs> Isabel Bader Theater, that's at 93 Charles Street. It's sort of like Charles and University. Yeah, almost, yeah right, right by the ROM. Right by the ROM, the Royal Ontario Museum. Uh, if you're in Toronto, check it out. Uh, who's on the bill? Uh, we got a lot of comics. Mm -hmm. Off the top of my head, Sandra Badalini, Amish Patel, Ernie. Sandra Badalini. Yeah, they're great. all like JFL yeah. comics. Sandra nice. Badalini, Ernie Vicente. Uh, JJ Lieberman, Ryan Long. JJ's good. Yeah, you know JJ. Yeah, yeah we we got oh, a lot. Yeah, they're all funny. Ryan yeah, we got, all, great. Yeah, we yeah. got a lot. Like all like really great comedians. Dan Guyry. Uh, is there a theme? Oh, well, not Dan Guyry. But... <laughs> <laughs> is there a theme for the night? Is there no? There's, no that's so it's the just, best it's a part. Comedy show. It's just a comedy that's show. That's raising money and yeah. It's just like the name is a bit of a troll, and we might have a very special guest who I can't announce because he's not confirmed. Right, but. So Saturday, November fourth, nine o'clock, twenty-five dollars a ticket. Isabel Bader Theater, uh, ninety-three Charles Street, Toronto, Ontario. Yeah, you get tickets at uh, brownpapertickets.com and just search free speech comedy. Okay, and it's called the free, well, just the free speech. It's free a speech long comedy title. show. Let's just call it the free. Well, speech Well, that was more of a logline, the yeah. tagline or whatever. But yeah, the free speech comedy show. Uh, well, that's a a, a, cra a crazy story. <laughs> I know. And, and you also say. 
Uh, as stated last time, if you're a Nazi or a white supremacist, you are not welcome at this show. Loads of comedians on the show. Sandra Badalini, Ernie Vincenze, Amish Patel, Ryan Long. It goes on and on and on. Plus, he's teasing that there might be some big-time comedians that stop by as well. So, anyway, the show, November 4th at the Isabel Bader Theater, U of T. Ticket information is at brownpapertickets.com. And the show is called The Free Speech. If he doesn't get shut down, it's going to be a hell of a show. Now, Una. It's based on a play, as I said earlier, called Blackbird by the Scottish playwright David Harrower, and it's an uncomfortable look into a very uncomfortable subject. Rooney Mara is the title character. She is a 20-something who takes action after seeing a picture of Ray, played by Ben Mendelsohn, in the magazine. The two have a past. 15 years earlier, when she was 13 and Ray was a middle-aged man, he seduced her, a crime he paid for with four years in prison. Convinced his actions put her in a downward spiral, she goes to his place of work to confront him. He's re-established himself with a new name, a wife, a job. She demands to know why he did what he did and why he abandoned her when she was 13, when they were about to make a run for it and leave England to start a new life together. Now, this is a complicated movie, and it's probably not a movie that's going to be for everyone, but Benedict Andrews is a fascinating guy, and I really enjoyed talking to him. What might have been a straightforward story of a search for answers defies preconceived audience expectations with the ethical landmines that Andrews and Harrower, the author, plants along the way. In its most startling turn, Una asks the audience to consider the interaction between Ray and Una, the abuser, and the abused as some kind of real-life love story. I started off the interview with Andrews asking him if he thought that the story was better suited for the stage, where it's been a big hit all over the world, including on Broadway. Jeff Daniels and Michelle Williams starred in it there. Uh, or on the screen. In the theatre, it's kind of like a verbal boxing match. Um, you're trapped in the same room as the two protagonists as they face each other off. Um, all aspects of memory in the theatre operate in the, through rhetoric, through what is said between the two of them. And in the theatre, I think that one of the pleasures of the piece is that the, the audience um, acts as a kind of uh, jury sitting on the sidelines weighing up the, the, the defense and accusations of the two characters and weigh up what's true. There's a profound shift that happens once it, once it becomes cinema. And after living with the film for a while, I think one fundamental thing for me is, is retrospectively, I'll come to why, 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 what I was attracted to, but retrospectively, I think that the film hurts a lot more than the, than the play ever did. Um, so I guess that the two, the two big, the two things that I found cinematic in it were the idea of the, the, the encounter. Um, I think, uh, you know, this is about two people who see each other again after 15 years. Um, the chemical charge of that, 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 that meeting. And I was interested, and I think the encounter is a, profoundly cinematic idea and I was interested in how the camera 
might be able to pursue with a, a special um, a special intimacy the the scar tissue opening up again between those those two characters and kind of be able to microscope in on that that scar tissue. The other really um, motivating idea for how it would shift was the idea of time. In the in the play, of course, it's important. These two people haven't seen each other for fifteen years, and they're they're discussing they're discussing what happened fifteen years ago. Um, but as I said earlier, that sort of largely is a kind of rhetoric that's being weighed up in the room between the two of them, or if the audience experiences it as they as they imagine it in the in, in the theatre. Actually, for me, that is the theatrical space where things are uttered and said and in front of you, and you you they activate a kind of screen in your imagination. Um, that plays in tension with the two people in front of you or the people in front of you. But the, um, this idea of time and this idea of uh, simultaneity of the past and the present and the interweaving of the past, past and present, I think, is a, is a uniquely cinematic um, thing and the, 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 I was very interested in how to get out of that closed room of the theatre Set the play kind of travelling through through a labyrinth in the present where the, the past was, was interrupting it. So I, I was very curious about it, the kind of that loaded potential in the script. And it has been opened up. There's more characters. Uh, there is it, it, it takes us to situations that the play simply doesn't or or or, or didn't, I guess. Which I found yeah. So some that are maybe suggested. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sorry, but I found it interesting to to see them. Because I did have a different reaction to the film than I did the play, and and I don't know whether it's just because the the play I, I guess is I don't know a hot medium. The people are standing directly in front of me, and you know I I I, I really saw them as as people as opposed to the theater where uh, in in the cinema where there are images on a screen and it feels a little different. It's a little cooler. I guess maybe, and I was able to to reflect. Well, oh, I don't way. find it. As I say, I, yeah, I don't. I don't find it cooler at all. I mean, I think because in the of the that there can be a lot of. Yeah, and because I said, like the way that I, I think it, I think it hurts more. I think in the cinema, in the theater, you're watching a fight, and that maybe it's hot. You're watching the heat of a fight, and to have the energy of that boxing match between the two of them, they have to work through various states. Sometimes they're quiet. Sometimes they're loud. Some performances are. You know, they're very loud. The two actors are almost sort of screaming at each other. So, yeah, there's a kind of visceral heat in that, I guess. But for me, the film opens up a kind of deep quiet in their relationship, uh, deep quiet in the storytelling. Um, but there's something about that, that intimacy, but also being able to able to see the past. And, and I also think literally David Harrow and I work, working on a, the script and then what we do with the actors, it takes you to some places that just aren't scenes in the in the play, also in the stuff that should be in the play. So it, generally, I think if you see the play when they nearly have sex, it's, it's not as extreme as what you see in the film. Counterintuitively, some people say, oh, the, the film maybe will make the, the play a little bit safer, become more conservative. I actually think it does the opposite. I think it makes the kind of the hurt, the, the emotional space of the play um, uh, even tougher. So is it fair to say that when you approached this that you really felt of them as two very different pieces? 
Um, I, I certainly had no interest in, you know, recreating a version of a play that I'd done 10 years ago. Um, and nor did David. There will continue to be fine productions of the, the, the play because it really is a, a, a chamber, kind of one of the best chamber, chamber plays um, of this century. And it's rich material for actors and it's rich, provocative and rich material for audiences. And it will continue to be done. So neither of us really wanted to make a well-made version of a play. You feel the play, sometimes especially within the film, and I, I, I like that, that you feel, you feel its roots. But it had to become its own thing, it had to become cinematic, and it had to become something distinct. I sometimes see, see them as two children coming from the same DNA, because in many ways I'm also trying to respect and amplify the core of the play. So even where that play takes place in that one room within a factory, uh, and that's very claustrophobic, we wanted to find ways to translate and amplify that that sort of claustrophobia for an audience in a in a cinematic way. And ironically, by having other characters, say Riz's character Scott, by introducing that character and having someone looking from the outside in. It makes the claustrophobia and exclusivity of their relationship much more palpable. In a way, you don't need that in the theatre, but you sort of needed some of those those things. And also the same way that when we send them the great opportunity that it offered to explore the factory as a kind of character within the film, um, opening up from that room, but letting the the room of the factory become somewhere that's a really concrete space that the sort of maze that they stalk each other through, um, that they hide from other people in, but it also becomes a, a metaphoric space. It becomes a kind of um, labyrinth in which they're, they're, they're chasing, chasing down memories and stalking each other through. Why do you think it's the right time to turn Blackbird into a film, or now Una, but... I mean, with the news of the last week, which isn't exactly the same thing, but, you know, the idea of sexual abuse is, is very much front and center in the news these days, maybe in a way that it wasn't, certainly 10 years ago, I don't think, when you would have directed the play, and even, you know, a year or more ago when you were working on the film. Um, why was it, why was that the time to turn this in? To turn this in? Well, in some ways, I think David, David's play is prescient. Um he's realizing that the conversation in society is, 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 is changing and within the play and in a different way within the film, part of the intelligence of that, that first play is the way he unpacks, he unpacks the moral problems of the survivor and abuser relationship. The play, as you, as you know, deals even more with some of the legal questions of, of that. We touch on that in visual, in, in visual ways here, but... Um, so in some ways, I think the play is, is start as the start of a wave of a long silence breaking. Thankfully, that silence is is um, breaking in journalistic and 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 legal ways, and we see that over the, the course of this week with the with the dam bursting and in the the kind of systemic abuse. Um, of of actresses with, within that Harvey Weinstein story. Um, so, look, from my point of view, it wasn't necessarily a, a conscious thing, although I think it, the play touches, absolutely touches 
a raw nerve now and it is part of a conversation that needs to happen about a topic that was was kept in silence or and so on. So from my point of view too, I, I feel very much like with the reading the the very good reporting this week um, that it's very important in a journalistic sense that, the, that these things are, uh, are black and white in a journalistic sense that finally, um, because in a way the ambiguity has been used in the real world as a, as a tactic of exploitation and as a, as a way to keep women silent uh, or keep abused people silent, if you also look at Catholic Church. Um, but um, what, what, so what, what le- legally and in journalism, I think that should be absolutely as, as, as clear and black and white as it can be. One of the powerful things in UNA, of course, is how you are drawn into a, um, a morally ambiguous space, one that, nev- that never condones what happens, that never uh, loses sight at any moment of the, 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 the damage to her, to her life, uh, to both their lives, say, but to her life, and that, that fi- the very final shot where the, the young her character turns her gaze directly into the camera is the kind of way of saying, um, don't forget me. So personally, I felt an immense responsibility in doing that, but I also felt the responsibility in honoring the play is to go into this uh, um, border, borderline state where um, desire and guilt have become terribly mixed up and where abuse and love have become mixed up and Una is trying to she's trying to sort that out and she has the courage to try and to try and sort that out and it's it's been um, it, it's been interesting and rewarding to have people say to me after screenings you know something happened to me when I was younger and this really this really try this chimes with that and it's actually and thanking for the complexity of the way that she that she is, she is presented. But I think it's part of a conversation that needs to happen and one that I, that, that I think it's very important that it's starting to, to, to that the dam is starting to burst on it. And in, in the world, people have said this, this is unacceptable. But at the same time, in a way, what, the, what cinema can do and what dramatic literature can do, it can take us into the raw nerves of an experience. Um, and I think that, that that is very important, that a film that only portrayed her... Uh, the film that ended up thinking, reaffirming that she 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 is only a victim, would not lead to as complex a conversation afterwards. Or it could have been just simply a revenge film, or it could have been uh, something less than it is. And the the line that has stayed with me is. Uh, he says to her, Ray says to Una, uh, you wanted to be treated like an adult. And she says, that's what children say. And that's right. Yeah. yeah. And for me, that line is, is I mean, it, it's simple. And it's when, when I first heard it, I thought, okay, I understand what it means. But it's really very complex because it, it suggests to me when you see it in the film that their relationship was something that in the moment that they both wanted, but she was certainly not capable of making that decision. And it has plagued her. And when he says, I put it all behind me, I've had time to put it behind me. And she says, I didn't have time to figure it out. I, I, I was, I'm paraphrasing badly here. But yeah. she says something to the effect of, you know, I, I, I was never given that time. I was too young. It's really heartbreaking. 
into invention. Yes, and he, she accuses him of, you know, he got to change his name. He got to lead a new life. She's stuck in her old life. And for me, that's one of the, the things that David invented that's very specific to this story. And what I think makes it quite complex is that she believed she was in love. Now, those lines that you touch on, they, from an adult point of view, and from her as an adult point of view, they make us and her question, is that even possible? Can a 13-year-old girl be, be in, 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 in love with a man? How much of that is absolutely manipulation and grooming? How much of that is his, is his sickness? All of those things. But at the time, she believed that she loved this man enough to leave her family and friends and run away somewhere else. And at the very moment when that was happening, that was ripped away from her. So those scenes are quite confronting where you see her still as a young, as a young woman, as a young girl, as a girl in court, screaming his name because she's lost a lover. And she, she's never had the chance to also, love it in quotes, <laughs> she's never had the chance to reconcile that experience as well, which has sort of has really torn her apart. Um, yeah. These are, I mean, the, the idea that, that, I don't know, the idea that this is um, just an entertainment is, is something, obviously, that, 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 that isn't true. But there has to be um, ways of, of keeping it compelling, I guess, and, and part of that is the casting. Uh, tell me a little, I know you had worked with Ben Mendelsohn before on stage. Uh, what was it about Rooney Mara that, that made you think that she was perfect for this role she brings a great uh, intelligence to her, everything that I've seen her do but also there is I just, I've never seen her be fake in, in anything she's, she's such a she's such a raw and truthful actress and I knew that that, that um, Una needed to carry within her at every single moment sometimes completely mixed up great strength, like a kind of formidable will and strength and the courage to, to, to face this man and the kind of like, the kind of iron will that is forged in her alongside a tremendous painful vulnerability that the audience would, 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 would need to feel. If she only became a broken woman or if she only became uh, an avenge, a, a, a avenging angel as we've been discussing, the film would lose its complexity. Needed an actress who would be able to walk that along that kind of fracture line that the character exists on. And it was with, with you know, great joy that I discovered that she also had a profound connection to the play. She she had stayed with her since she, she'd seen it, a production of it on Broadway. And I think she had it. She's an actress with very good instincts, both in front of the camera, but also in terms of her career. And I think she really had an instinct that this was a, this was a very special role for her. And Ben Mendelsohn is someone who um, often plays troubled characters, but he's someone who I've often found, uh, you know, most recently I think saw him in Bloodlines, a show called Bloodlines, where he played uh, a, a troubled brother who was sort of an outcast, but there's a, a still a vulnerability to him uh, that even though he did, he did terrible things, uh, that I could kind of be on side with him somehow. And I'm not sure what that quality is, but it seemed to serve him well in this film, for me anyway. 
Yes, he's a master at that, at that, at that quality. Uh, it's, it's beautiful in, 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 in Bloodline where he's the black sheep in that family who's continually desperating to his family members, yet we feel, and doing things that we might even find abhorrent, but we connect with him. And I've watched him do that. We, you know, we know him very well in Australia. He's kind of, we've, we've watched him since he was a teenage actor uh, in, ver- in various roles. And he possesses an enormous charm, incredible sensitivity, um, a razor-sharp mind. And again, like Rooney, in a very different way, he, he puts himself on the line in, every, in, in everything that he does. And he's able to shine light into the darkest of places in some characters. There's an Australian film he's in called Animal Kingdom where he plays one of a uh, son in a criminal family and he does some pretty fucked up things um, but you still you still connect with him and there, there's, there's just something something burning inside him that people people connect with. And that was very important with Ray. It wouldn't have... I also wanted someone who you felt a kind of real grain of experience and grain of truth with. It keeps us guessing at every moment of the film too, and that's it's a very fine thing to play. Where right to the very end, you're 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 swinging between your this man absolutely sickening you and the horror, the horror that he might still be perpetrating the same crime against someone else, um, and and you, yet you also listen to him and almost start to understand him and want to, want want to listen to him. That's Benedict Andrews talking about Una. It is a complicated movie with some very good performances from Rooney Mara and Ben Mendelsohn. They're both great in very difficult roles. They explored the thin lines drawn between anger and desire, between right and wrong, between reality and fantasy. It's complicated and messy as Ray is forced to confront a past that he'd rather subvert while Una looks for answers. Uh, Check it out. It's in theaters this week in Canada. I think it's already playing in the United States. It's worth a look, but be prepared to go out and have a drink and talk about it and possibly argue about it afterwards. That's it for right now. Go to the movies or go to Danny Polichuk's comedy show. You just, you can't hang around here anymore. It's over here for the House of Krauss this week. Thank you for coming by. Thanks to Danny. Thanks to Benedict. Most of all, though, thanks to you for coming by each and every week. We always love to see you. We love to hear that knock on the door. Uh, We put a new show up every single Monday. You never know who's going to stop by for a visit, and who knows, it might be one of your favorite people. So come on back and see us every week. Tell your friends.